go. Welcome to The Morning Brew with Stu. I'm your host, as always, Stuart Brooking. I want to start today off by talking about the Colts game. And primarily, I want to start off by talking about the end of the Colts game. So the Colts were down by 11 with like 4 minutes, 30 seconds left. They've already burned their timeouts 5 minutes into the game. And you have this chance, right? You have Phillip Rivers, a veteran quarterback that you tell the media you believe in and that you're 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 he's your guy, he's a future Hall of Famer. We have no we have all the faith in the world in Phillip Rivers. That's what Frank Reich and Chris Ballard say in the press conference. That's what Frank Reich and Chris Ballard preach to the media is that we love Phillip Rivers. Philip Rivers, man, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's going to do all these things for us. That's what they tell you if you're a media member in Indianapolis. So you're down by you're down by 11, four minutes and 30 seconds left. The obvious thing here is it's it's obviously a passing down. You're obviously trying to throw the ball to get down the field to put up some points so you can so you can make it instead of 11, it's a four point game at this point. Get the onside kick and try to try to come back, right? Like that that's what that's what normally happens. That's what a real team would do, right? Nah. Nah, the Colts said, the Colts said, nah, man, we're good, fam. We ain't going to do that. You know what we're going to do? I think we're going to throw screen pass, another screen pass, and another screen pass. And then we're going to, when it's fourth and five, we're going to throw it 10 yards down the field, pick up the first down. And then we're going to go screen pass, run, screen pass, run. Oh, oh, crap. There's a minute 30 left. Now we decide, oh, we're going to throw the ball down the field. Fourth down, sorry. Don't get to fourth down. Now you give it back to Baltimore. They go down the field, kick a field goal. Now you're down by 14. Now you're down by 14 at this point. Now maybe, maybe you want to show a little sense of urgency, right? Like, I mean, that's what I would think. I mean, I would think maybe, just maybe, you want to show a little bit of sense of urgency. Nah, fam. Colts are good. They're good. They're all right. You know what they're going to do? They're just going to throw a couple more screen plays. And maybe run the ball. And then the time's going off the clock. And they're going to go to the locker room and go home losers. That's what happened at the end of the game. I, I, I don't understand the conservative play calling. I don't understand the 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 lack of, of urgency. I don't understand the, the lack of awareness by this coaching staff. Listen, I love Frank Reich. But there have been a lot of people within the Colts podcasting world, within the within the Colts media, within the Colts Twitter that have said, man, like, Frank Wright's play calling, I don't know. And I, I've always been the guy that's like, nah, man, you know, Frank Wright, he's an offensive genius. You know, he helped take the Eagles to the Super Bowl. He did all this good stuff. Then I watched yesterday. And you have a chance. You have a chance to win this game. You have a chance to do some great things. For the Colts. You have a chance. You have a chance. Nah, man. We're, we're going to be conservative. And we're going to throw screen passes. I'm done. If you're wondering, I'm done. With the excuses. Here's the thing with Frank Reich. You had Andrew Luck. Successful. You had Jacoby Brissett. Started off successful. Then not so much, but then also the play calling wasn't that great at the end of the last season. He kept defending Adam Vinatieri, even though he kept missing kick after kick after kick after kick. 
and costing you game after game after game after game. I, I, I don't understand what the point of defending these people are, but hey, you know what? You want to defend them, defend them. Go ahead. That's fine. But I think at some point, the accountability has to end somewhere. And I think it begins, and it's probably going to end with Frank Reich. And I love Frank Reich. And I, you know, given the right quarterbacks, he's been sh he's shown that he can do great things. That's what he's shown. Here's the thing. I, I, I'm not going to blame Philip Rivers, even though he had a pick, right? But that pick, let's all be honest, I don't think it was a pick. But... NFL rules, whatever, they want to say whatever they want to say, fine, it was an interception. But the part that just that dumbfounds me the most is the play calling. The play calling. It was like Frank Reich didn't care. It was like he wanted to lose the game. It was like Frank Reich said, nah, we're good, man. You know, I think, I think I'm just going to sit this one out. We're going to go back to the locker room with our tails between our legs and Everything's going to be all right. That's what it seemed like the the, the mindset of Frank Reich was. It was mind-boggling to me. I'd never seen a team do that down by 11 with four minutes and 30 seconds left. You have a chance to win the game, and instead, what do you do? You throw screens? You throw screen passes? Or are you even trying to win the game at this point? Are you even trying? And maybe, maybe, maybe... It's Philip Rivers. Maybe they don't believe in Philip Rivers as much as they're telling the people in the media. If that's the case, then put Jacoby Brissett in. If that's the case, put Jacob Eason in. Because if you're going to if you're going to do this week in and week out, when you have a chance to win games, man, you're running out of excuses. That's where I'm getting at. You're running out of excuses. And we have the best offensive line in football. Why are we 31st in the league in yards per carry on the run? I don't understand that. I don't understand why we are 31st in the league, next to last, mind you, in the league and rushing when we supposedly have the best offensive line in football. It makes no sense to me. I, I don't understand it. I don't know if I'll ever understand it. But my, my, my frustrations with Frank Reich and with this coaching staff come with the with the lack of urgency and the bad play calling at the end of that game. That was uncalled for and very unnecessary. And I don't understand it. And it's unacceptable. And it, it, it needs to end. You know, Chris Ballard loves Frank Reich as much as I do. But here's the thing. I If I'm Chris Ballard, I'm looking at Frank Reich and I'm saying, listen, man. Listen. You can't keep losing games for us like this because, hey. That was not a great play call at the end. Those were not great playmaking decisions. If you're going to be in charge of playmaking here and play calling, I mean, here's what you need to do. You need to fix it. Be more aggressive. I don't know. Actually, act like you want to win the game. Try to win the game. Maybe you should do that. Maybe you should start off by doing that. I, I want to switch to this now. Notre Dame and Clemson. That game was much better than I thought. I, I don't know how many of you watched that. It went to two overtimes. And I thought that was a statement made by Notre Dame. Many people, including yours truly, said that, you know, Notre Dame ain't going to win, dude. They ain't going to win. Notre Dame, they don't, they don't ever compete with people who are actually good. Like, they don't ever compete with real football teams. They went to double overtime with Clemson. 
Granted, Trevor Lawrence wasn't there. I understand that. I I completely get that. But they still hung in there. And they, they still played a really good football game. That defensive line is for real. Ian Book showed some, some great things. He's a dark horse, late-round pick for me. A guy who I think could, could be a really solid starter in the NFL to, to great backup. But Ian Book, dude, really balled out. That offense balled out. I was really impressed of how well that defense played. I was I was just impressed overall by Notre Dame. And here's the thing with Clemson. Listen, you lost to a good football team. You didn't have your, your once-in-a-generation quarterback. You can't really feel too bad about that if you're Clemson because, listen, you know, you don't have Trevor Lawrence. You don't have the guys that you once had on the team. Without Trevor Lawrence, that team's not the same, right? That team that beat the, beat the brakes off of Notre Dame a couple of years ago is not the same team now. But Trevor Lawrence wasn't there. DJ was there. He was a true freshman quarterback. And... You know, I can't pronounce DJ's last name, but DJ didn't do bad for a true freshman, dude. He didn't do he didn't do terrible. He played actually really good. I was very impressed with him. I was very impressed with how Notre Dame played. Notre Dame blew me away, shocked me. I didn't think they were gonna play that well, and they did. And I am I'm just mind boggled, dumbfounded, amazed, shocked, whatever you want to say, that's what I am. I now want to go to another football team in Indiana, and that's Indiana University, the the Hoosiers. Listen, I grew up 30 minutes south of Bloomington, Bedford, Indiana, in the heart of IU country. They bleed red and white there. And they've been they've been wanting for years and years and years for IU to be good. I've said they're they're the most delusional fan base I've ever met. Because you'll ask them year in and year out, who's going to the college football playoffs? And I I got so many times this is what happens when you live in a in a in a diehard town that loves their team. You you get those answers where it's like, ah, IU, even though I use quarterback as a nobody, I use coach as a nobody. And when you play real teams, you get beat. But Tom Allen, the job Tom Allen's done. Michael Penix Jr. at quarterback. The job he's done. I use for real. They're a real football team. And listen, I loved Michael Penix Jr. I loved him. When he came out, I I texted some friends of mine, my uncle, who are IU fans. I said, man, Michael Penix Jr., that's somebody you need to look out for. He's going to be really, really good. I'm, I'm telling you, he's going to be really good. That's what I said. He gets on the national stage by that overtime run against Penn State. Still controversial to me. I, I, I'm not sure I would have made that call. But, hey, you know, hats off to the referee. IU going into the game last week versus Michigan was 13th ranked in the country. That's the highest they've ever been. Then they beat Michigan, and they beat them pretty handily. And now I use the 10th ranked team in the country. That's the highest ranking they've ever had, ever had in school history at football. And that's shocking to me. That's shocking that they're that they're 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 the 10th ranked team in the country. Because when you live in a place like Bedford, 
you live in a place like Bloomington, where you're in the heart of IU country, and you listen to these IU fans for years and years and years, just want and hope this team to be good, and the max they've ever been is mediocre. That's all they've ever wanted is this team to be good. That's it. That's all they've ever wanted. And the max IU's ever been was mediocre. Then, 2020 comes. IU plays a strictly Big Ten schedule. They kick the game off Penn State, who's ranked in the country like 18th or something like that. And I, I, I don't know about them, but I tell you what I was thinking. Dang, dude. I feel sorry for IU. Like, they don't even get to put, like, they don't even get to put, like, non-conference games on the schedule this year. They don't even get to put, like, you know, like, Ball State on there. They don't get to pay, put, like, I don't know, Indiana State. I don't know. They don't get to put, like, North New Western, Northwestern Hampshire University or whatever. They don't get to put those teams on there. Nah, man. They got to start off with Penn State. Then they got to play Rutgers. Probably a win. Then they got to play Michigan. And they're probably not going to win there. They did. They beat Penn State. They beat Rutgers. They beat Michigan. Here's the thing. I use good. They're real good. They're a top 10 team in the country. And from a guy who's not an IU fan, IU football fan, but grew up in an area, like I said, where they bleed red and white, where they love their Hoosiers, I am happy for IU. I am, I am ecstatic for IU fans. I'm ecstatic for IU players. I know some players that play at IU. I'm ecstatic for IU coaches. I'm ecstatic for everybody involved at Indiana University because they finally got to the point where they've always wanted to be. And that's a top 10 team in the country. Now, they have some tough matchups coming up. I can't really. They play Michigan State this week. They should beat Michigan State. Should. And then they play Ohio State. And Ohio State's going to be the toughest matchup of their year. They beat Penn State. That's a check. They beat Michigan. That's a check. Now Ohio State circled on their schedule. And here's the problem with that. Is when you're undefeated. When you're 3-0. And you're going in to play a team like Michigan State. Who's got some upsets of their own by the way. And you know following Michigan State is Ohio State. A lot of teams can get caught looking ahead. Get caught looking at the next game. Like, ah, you know, we're just going to steamroll through Michigan State. And then we're going to go take on Ohio State. And usually these games before a big-time, prime-time matchup like Ohio State, like this Michigan State game, usually a trap. It's usually a setup game. It's usually a trap game where teams get got, you know? So if you're, if you're IU, you don't want to get got. You know what I mean? Like, you, you don't want to get got. I don't think with Tom Allen that's going to happen. I think that they're they're pretty solid. They're pretty sound in what what they're going to do. And Tom Allen's going to make sure that team's focused. And Tom Allen's going to make sure that that team is ready to play football. And that that team ultimately, at the end of the day, Tom Allen Tom Allen is going to make sure that that team takes Michigan State just as serious as they're going to take Ohio State. My prediction is they beat Michigan State, and then it's a top ten matchup between Ohio State and IU. In two weeks. So I'm happy for IU. Happy for 
for IU fans, happy for everybody surrounding the area. So, AB, again, this is, I'm recording this on Monday. So, last night, Sunday night, AB, Antonio Brown made his return. I was going to talk about this on the last podcast, and I forgot, to be honest with you. And here's the thing. You know, I talked about this a few podcasts back. I talked about how, you know, Josh Gordon, how he was going to be reinstated, potentially. And I said how he 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 set the tone and showed guys like A.B. what it takes to get re-signed. He showed guys like Antonio Brown, like, stay out of the news. Don't try to fight Logan Paul. Don't get caught with this. Don't start rapping. Just if, if you want a ball, focus on ball and, and go from there. Show, get help, recognize that you have a problem, get help, and then go from there. And, you know, I think AB has done the right thing. I, listen, here's the thing. Despite what you might think, despite what I might think about a- Antonio Brown, he's living with Tom Brady. Tom Brady is going to do what he can to make sure Antonio Brown is good. This is his last chance, right? This is the last chance that Antonio Brown has to potentially be in the league. Antonio Brown at one point was the best receiver in football. Or at least had the argument to be the best receiver in football next to Julio Jones. So this is it for AB. If Antonio Brown wants to make it work, if Antonio Brown wants to continue to play football, I think he's going to do what he's been doing. He's going to live with Tom Brady. I think he's going to try to stay out of the news, stay out of the media. Don't try to tear the team apart. Just go in, do your job, and leave. I think that's what he's going to do. I think for AB, the best thing for him is to live with Tom Brady. I think that's the best thing that's ever happened to him. Because by Brady saying, come on, man, stay at my house. Come on, man. You have a guy like Tom Brady who who said in his, in his documentary that that he's given up his life and he sacrificed his life, like his family, all this stuff to the point where he was almost divorced for the game. And so for AB, I, I think that's what you need as a guy who's as adamant about football as a guy like Tom Brady is. And I think if you're Antonio Brown, you need a guy who's going to who's going to be like, hey, man, you need to eat right. You need to drink right. You need to do this. You need to do that. You don't need to have a beer during the uh, during the season. You know all this stuff. That's what that's what Tom Brady is bringing to Antonio Brown. So I I think the best thing for Antonio Brown is to live with Tom Brady. I I think that that benefits Antonio Brown so much, and it's going to bring out a part. Antonio Brown that we've maybe never seen before. But I I also think that that's a big thing for Tom Brady. Here's the thing. Tom Brady's a brand at this point, right? Like Brady's a TB12. Like TB12 is Brady and Brady is TB12 at this point. Like he's trying to build a business. He's trying to make billions of dollars off this supplement business. And by doing this, you're putting your rep- your reputation in the hands of Antonio Brown. So if Antonio Brown comes out and he's great, he's fantastic, he's a heck of a teammate, hard worker, plays great football, back at the top of the league, and he's the guy, right? Then my God, Tom Brady looks like a genius. 
And Tom Brady looks like the guy that always took chances with people. And Tom Brady looks like the guy we knew, the GOAT, right? Like that's that's what Tom Brady looks like. But you're risking it here with, with Antonio Brown. You're risking it if you're Tom Brady. Listen, you have TB12 to think about. You have a billion-dollar supplement business that you're trying to build to think about. If, if Antonio Brown goes off the rails, he does something, he gets another sexual assault charge, he gets this, he gets that. Because you're having this guy live at your house, it does, it does affect you. It is a risk if you're Tom Brady. But I do think, like I said, I'll end it with this. I, I, I do think it's a great thing for Antonio Brown. And I think it's a great thing for him as a player mentally that he's living with Tom Brady. Because I think he's going to be the player that he wanted to be and once was by living with Tom Brady. And I think that, you know, he's going to to get back on the right track and ultimately be the Antonio Brown that we knew in 2016, 2015, things like that. Talking about another quarterback in Florida, Tua Tagovailoa. Listen, here's the thing with Tua. He threw for 90 yards in his debut and one touchdown. You had, had Colin Cowherd saying, oh, he looks small. He looks small out there. He's not the guy. He doesn't have the wiggle that, that Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson has. Rex Ryan said he looked small. And then, Tua Tagovailoa comes out, plays the Arizona Cardinals. Him and the Miami Dolphins play the Miami, my bad, play the Arizona Cardinals. And we have a quarterback battle on our hands. And Tua looks great. Tua was out there making, dropping dimes, putting the ball in there, spinning it real nice, making it look beautiful. He was throwing the ball accurately. He was making plays with his feet. He looked faster at Miami than he did at Alabama. And he he looked like the guy the Miami Dolphins drafted. And everybody over always does this. And I'm not trying to overreact after the second game of Tua Tagovailoa's career. But everybody always does this after the first game. Because we always expect rookies like, you know, we always see guys like Cam who tore it up. You know, Joe Burrow's tearing it up. Justin Herbert, Andrew Luck tore it up. So, like, we always expect these guys, like, like the first, the number one overall pick or, or a top five pick to come out, and they, they instantly they got to be great. Instantly they got to be great. And, you know, Tua wasn't great week one. Okay. But there's a reason they went with him over Ryan Fitzpatrick, even though Fitzpatrick was playing at an MVP level. There's a reason they went with Tua. Tua looked good, in my opinion. I think he looked real good. I think Tua looked like he looked like a franchise quarterback in this game. Granted, it's week two. His, not week two of the season, but it's week two of Tua Tagovailoa. It's the second week we've seen Tua. So let's pump the brakes on, on Tua's great. He's fantastic. He's going to be the, the long-term starter. Let's pump the brakes on that. But let's also pump the brakes on, nah, man. It's one game, dude. Tua ain't that good. See what he did week one. That's the real Tua. Ah, negative, negative, negative. Let's just let's pump the brakes on that, all right? Tua Tagovailoa looked great. He looked like the number five overall pick. And ultimately, at the end of the day, we'll know what kind of quarterback he is at the end of the year. 
We'll know what kind of quarterback he is at the end of the season. If they go to the playoffs, Dolphins look like a playoff team. We'll know what kind of quarterback he is at the end of the playoffs. But even with that said, it is just one year, and you can't fully judge what a quarterback on one season. That's why guys like Trubisky, who you who you judge on one year of college, you know, don't always work out. Same with Dwayne Haskins. And I want to end it with this. This is what I want to end with. I want to end with Josh Allen. He balled out versus the Seattle Seahawks. Played fantastic. Dude for like 412 yards and like four or five touchdowns or something like that. Back in the MVP conversation. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. I was wrong about Josh Allen. I thought Josh Allen was a bust. I, I said that coming out. I have tweets that say it. I use my tweet, my Twitter as a, you know, as a receipt. So it's there. I said it. I'm not, I'm not happy that I said it, but I said it. And so for me, the biggest thing is Josh Allen is the real deal. He's back in the MVP candidate conversation for me. He's probably a top five quarterback for me. And listen, every quarterback, I think we all did this, right? Like even me, we all overreacted because he had like two weeks where he was down. Every quarterback has that. Every quarterback has two weeks where they're not themselves. Every quarterback has two weeks where where they don't look so high. Every quarterback has two weeks where, you know, you look at it and you're like, man, dude, look, I don't know, man. Maybe maybe Josh Allen's lost. Every quarterback has that. So I all I've got to say is this, Josh Allen's the real deal. For those of you who, who want to say, well, Josh Allen this and Josh Allen that, I used to be right there with you. I've officially become a Josh Allen guy. I was wrong on Josh Allen. And if you don't think Josh Allen's great, then you're wrong too. I think the Bills are I think the Bills are the best team in the AFC East. I think they have the best shot to win it. I think they have the best chance to win it. And at the end of the day, really to me, you know, I don't the Jets not that great. Dolphins are the only team that can compete with them. The Patriots used to be good, but now they've really fallen off. So now it's Miami and, and Buffalo. And I look at Josh Allen and the things that McDermott's done there. And I look at all these all these players that they have and what what they're doing and what they're what they're showing is this. And here's the thing. Here's what the Jets should do. The Jets should learn from a team like the Bills who are in their own division. They drafted Josh Allen, and then they the first year, Josh Allen ran around the he ran around a lot. He didn't really like stand in the pocket, make any throws. Didn't really do any of that good stuff. He did year two. He he got a little better at it. But he didn't really make that many throws first year. Kind of ran around, played his game. Then they put some more weapons around him. He started becoming more comfortable throwing the football. Then this year, they really loaded the weapons up. And he's been great at throwing the football and and that's what the Jets have lacked to do around Sam Darnold. They have not built a team around Sam Darnold. They've they've not really done that. They've not really let Sam play his game because they haven't given him an offensive line. They've not given him a running game. His receivers are nobodies. And like you see it with Cleveland, they've loaded up the talent for Baker, but at times, like not Kevin Stefanski, but you know, you saw it with Freddie Kitchens, you saw it with Hugh Jackson. They didn't really build around Baker or 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 like Designed the offense around Baker. They were just like, ah, we're going to drop back, have Baker throw it 40 times a game. When, when really you should run it and then do Baker 
you know, have Baker do some some bootlegs and throw the ball that way or some play action passes because that's where Baker's most most dangerous at. That's where he had most success at, at Oklahoma. That's where he had the most success when he when he his rookie year. When he started to get in the group last year, that's where he had some success. So for so for me, it's it's this, right? Like the the Bills are showing that besides Lamar Jackson, they have the best quarterback in that draft class, in the 2018 draft class. And, you know, it's fantastic to see. I'm, I'm glad, so glad that, that Josh Allen proved me wrong. He's got a big arm. He's fast. He's mobile. His football IQ only keeps in, increasing, improving. He only keeps getting smarter and smarter. And that is just great for me. Because I'm, I'm glad, you know, when I'm critical about people and about players and quarterbacks, I want them to prove me wrong. I do. I want them to, to come out and say, well, I'm actually better than you thought I was. And that's what I want. I want teams and players and, and quarterbacks to prove me wrong when I say they're not very good. So I'm happy for Josh Allen. I'm glad Josh Allen is successful. But to act like Josh Allen wasn't a good quarterback because he had two down weeks is is asinine. It's it's mind-boggling. It's stupid. Now, he did play Seattle, and Seattle doesn't have a fantastic defense. So we'll see what happens. It's an okay defense. It's not great. But we'll see what happens when he plays a, a real defense. I, I think he'll be fine. Didn't play well against Tennessee, but... I think Josh Allen will be great, and he showed you last night again why he's why at one point this season he was considered an MVP candidate. Hey, thanks for listening. Uh, I really appreciate it. If you could do me a favor, if you really enjoyed this podcast, if you could just share it with your friends, share it on social media, you know, all that all that great stuff. If you could do that for me, that'd be great. Again, thanks for listening.